1602, the Dutch created the East India Company, a trading company that was extremely successful. One of the first capitalist countries, they had stocks, shareholders, and helped create the golden age of the Dutch. Then to try and copy the success, another company, the West India Company, was established. They struggled from the start because they needed people to leave the Dutch land and travel to the new land in the Americas. No one wanted to leave because they were all living well in the golden Dutch age. So only the lowest people in the culture would go. They ran into more problems and the company was really making no money. The people living in the new land of Manhattan Island called New Amsterdam began to take to piracy as the way to make money. Since the Dutch were at war with Spain, they attacked Spanish ships and took their cargo as loot. But the Spanish were deep into the slave trade, and the pirates returned with loot. They also returned with slaves. The Dutch would have to decide what to do with these slaves. In today's episode, we're going to look at the Dutch city through the eyes of one of those slaves, a man named Manuel Garrett. Hello, welcome to Church History Podcast. I'm your host, Loralee Siemens. I hope you're enjoying fall. It's about to turn a corner. And we are now in the last week of October. And Christmas is just around the corner. Yes, I said it, Christmas. In the month of December, I'm going to be doing some of the same things I did last year. History of the carols. So I'm wondering, if you have a Christmas carol, you really want to know the history of it. If you do, email me, lauralee at lauraleesiemens.com and tell me what carol you want to hear. I'm going to try to get my family to sing some of the songs as well. So you never know, maybe. I have two weekly podcasts now, my other podcast, Laura Lee. Yes, it's easy to remember the podcast. It's just named Laura Lee. It's returning. In that podcast, I look at the history behind the news of the day. And this week, we're going to be looking at the history of the word propaganda. I will have a link for you for that in the show notes. I'm also busy editing podcasts for other Christian podcasters. It's really great to see so many using this method to share God's love with the world. I'm also recording a lot these days, many new audiobooks. If you're looking for a narrator for your audiobook, message me. Let me know you're a Christian history fan, and I will give you a great deal. Okay, back to our story. In 1626, Manuel Garrett was living in Mongolia, a young black man. He was captured by Portuguese and taken from his homeland. He was sold to a Spanish crew and loaded onto a ship. Things looked like they could not get any worse. Stuck on the bottom of a ship, cargo, he was cargo, property to be sold and bought. And just when he thought things could not get worse, they did. Pirates attacked the ship, cannons fired, and soon the Dutch had control of the ship. Manuel had heard about the Dutch, They are people who are proud of their tolerance. But what did that mean? Manuel had been a free man, then a captive, then property, now loot, pirate loot. He was pirate loot. Manuel traveled, now under the Dutch control, to the port of Manhattan, to the city of New Amsterdam. As the boat landed, Manuel's destiny was put out of his hands and into the hands of a council. They had anticipated gold, tea, tradable loot, They had not anticipated slaves. New Amsterdam didn't have any slaves. They had free black men and women who owned land, lived freely and equally with the other Dutch. 
In fact, one of the more influential men was a black man named Anthony Van Solen, who was married to a white Dutch woman who happened to be the town prostitute, and the two owned a large farm. The council was torn, as was the city itself. There was many who did not want slavery in New Amsterdam, but slavery was part of the world. It was everywhere, and it always had been. The idea that slavery would worldwide end was something they would never really think of as a possibility. So in the end, they assumed that slavery would eventually be part of New Amsterdam, so they would set it up as fairly as they could. Slaves would be seen as property, but they could earn their freedom. There was also something called half-slave. A half-slave could own land, live as a free man, but would have to come and help the slave owner whenever asked. Slaves were also to be given equal rights in the law. They could sue if treated in a way that broke the law. Also, slaves could work for people who were not their owners, and then they would have to be paid. If they did not get paid properly, they could sue for proper pay. In both the Dutch homeland and New Amsterdam, groups formed to fight this idea. They didn't want slavery to be part of their country, and they thought it went against their culture of tolerance. But those fighting did not win, and Manuel found himself a slave in New Amsterdam. There were 10 other slaves with him. So New Amsterdam had 11 slaves. The church had to decide what to do. Slaves were now part of the town. How would they deal with this? What the church decided to do is that in church, everyone was equal. Slave and free, all were welcome. Everyone would sit together, worship together, pray together, study the Bible together. For the next 15 years, Manuel lived as a slave in New Amsterdam. He went to church with his fellow slaves, and the slaves and the owners attended church together. He met his wife, married her, and had children. He began saving his money up to buy land for himself and worked for other people for money. At one point, someone refused to pay him, and he took that person to court and won. People in town called him Big Manuel. Life had settled into a new normal until that day, the day everything changed. The winter of 1641. A slave had been found murdered, and everyone who had been in the area was arrested. Well, not everyone but any slave who had been in the area was arrested, and that included Big Manuel. Sitting in the jail, waiting for justice, must have been nerve-wracking and even terrifying for Manuel. Life had been so full of injustice for him. Captured from Mongolia, sold, stolen, and then slaved, what chance did he have for justice? Eventually, Manuel and his fellow slaves were taken to the center of town. The man in charge was named Peter Stuyvesant. Peter stood before the crowd. A slave had been killed, and justice must be served. But we have no way to know who the killer is. So we will trust God to show us the killer. Only God knows the hearts of man, and only God knows who the killer is. So it is God who will reveal it to us. The air was cold, snow was on the ground, and the wind was biting cold. Manuel watched as his fellow slaves were brought forward one by one. Peter held in his hand sticks. As the slaves stepped forward, they were each told to pick a stick. Each stick was the same size. Manuel was brought forward. He reached in to pull his stick. As he pulled the stick out, his stomach fell. He knew instantly what had just happened. His stick was longer than the rest. He could hear the mob around him screaming. He could hear Peter saying God had spoken. He could feel the men who were gripping him tight. But his eyes were scanning the crowd looking for his wife. He wanted to see her one last time. He wanted to tell her he loved her one last time 
before he left this awful earth. The men pushed Manuel to the gallow and put a rope around his neck, then a second rope, just in case. Manuel continued to look for his wife in the crowd, and then he saw her pushing her way to the front, their eyes locked. He hated seeing the fear and pain in her eyes and knowing she was going to watch him die. I love you, he mouthed to her, and then he heard the noise of the plank dropping and he felt his body fall. And then he felt the cold ground as he hit it hard. Confusion, stunned, he could hear the noise of the mob. He wasn't dead. His wife was holding him and sobbing and the realization the ropes had snapped. Not just one rope, both ropes had snapped. He heard somebody yelling, God has spoken. And then he saw Peter standing over him, looking disgusted. I guess God has spoken. Manuel is not our murderer. And with that, Manuel's arms were untied. For the next five years, Manuel worked harder than before, working for as many men as possible and saving every dollar he could. Finally, in 1646, he had enough money to buy his half-freedom and a small piece of land for his family. He started a farm and raised his children, all the while still being a half-slave and forced to work for his owner whenever called upon. For the next six years, Manuel lived with his family on the farm. The farm grew bigger and he had more children. In 1652, people began to talk about war. England and the Dutch Republic were at war. While people talked about their homeland and their fears for the family, Manuel had other fears. English treated their slaves differently than the Dutch. If this town was captured by the English, what would that mean for him? Would he be sold? Would he be separated from his family? While he had what looked like freedom, his own land, family, working for other people for money, he was not free. He was still the property of another man. He still belonged to someone. A half-slave was still a slave. Three years later, in the center of town, the first open slave market. Men, women, children stood like cattle as people looked them up and down, and then the bidding started. Slavery had come in 1626 as pirate booty. It had been tolerated, and what is tolerated eventually is accepted, and what is accepted is eventually law. And in less than 30 years, the slave trade was now an open part of the city. Christmas. Christmas of 1653. Manuel's family had started the traditions of the Dutch, and his family enjoyed Christmas. They liked the special services at the church. They liked the tiny cakes called cookies. And the kids really liked Sinterklaas. Then, the council meeting. The war between the English and Dutch was coming here, to this land. The Dutch had finally been given the council an official charter, thanks to a man named Adrian Vanderdunk, who was fighting for this in the Dutch homeland. But the English also believed they had claim to this area, and they could attack at any moment. All the men in the city were to work together to build a large wall, and then they were to create a street to run along the side of the wall. When the town needed work, every man was forced to help. When the roads needed to be cobbled, every man had to come out and work together to make that happen. And now, every man had to work to build the wall. Manuel and the other men built the street and the road that ran alongside it. They named the street a simple name, Wall Street. Christmas passed without an attack, and the next year the war ended. The wall was never attacked. But the war raging in Europe had caused another problem. In 1654, a boat arrived with Jews. They had been living in the Dutch city 
of Recifa in Brazil, but the Portuguese had captured the area and banished all Jews. The townspeople were angry. They didn't want the Jews here. Manuel heard people calling them deceitful people, and they even said that they would infest their children. Manuel heard this even from the people in his church. It seemed no one wanted the Jews there, but Manuel thought differently. He had been forced from his homeland by the Portuguese people as well. They had sold him to the Spanish before he'd been captured and taken here. The Jews all spoke Dutch perfectly. It had taken Manuel a long time to learn the Dutch language. If they already spoke Dutch, they would have no problems here. What about tolerance? He thought that was an important thing for the Dutch. The Jews were allowed to stay, but they were not allowed to own land, and the church treated the Jewish people very poorly. They would not allow their children to play together with the Jewish children, and they clearly did not want them there. But the Jews refused to leave, and eventually they were able to buy small plots of land and grow a community. That Jewish community still lives there today. 34 years after first arriving in New Amsterdam, Manuel was not a young man. He is in his 50s now. His children have children. He has settled into New Amsterdam, still a half-slave. He never did get his complete freedom. Lots of slaves have come to the community now. The city's complicated. There have been marriages between blacks and whites. The town is full of different languages and many religions. There are Dutch, English, Swedes, and Finnish communities, and of course, the Jewish community. What might seem like a town ahead of its time, there was also slaves. And in fact, the West Indy Company was now actively part of the slave trade. What had started as taking slaves that had already been stolen and sold, slaves that were pirate booty, had involved into actually running pirate boats as part of the slave trade and open slave markets. Another reminder, when you compromise, it's just the first step to fully accepting and participating in the sin. But the summer of 1661, a man named John Winthrop came to town. His father had been the famous John Winthrop Puritan governor. We talked about that in our episode, A City on the Hill. John Winthrop visited the city and then traveled to London. King Charles II was on the throne now, and his brother James of York both hated the Puritans. But they agreed to listen to this Puritan governor talk about New Amsterdam on Manhattan Island. Eventually, Charles II gave John a very large area and decided to give New Amsterdam to his brother James of York. Winthrop returned and began to visit landowners, telling them they were now under English rule. For Manuel, he knew it was only a matter of time. The English were coming. The summer of 1664, boats and soldiers arrived. Over 1,500 soldiers were ready to attack New Amsterdam. Manuel sat in the room as the townspeople were trying to decide what to do. It was clear they had no chance of winning a war against the English. Fighting back would mean their husbands and sons would die, and they would still lose in the end. They needed to negotiate and surrender. There were a few citizens who spoke that everyone listened to. A woman named Catalina spoke. Her husband had died just a few weeks ago. Both her and her husband were really well-respected. They'd been part of the first boat that had settled to the area. Their families had literally built the town. She agreed to the surrender. Anthony then stood to speak. He was a large black man who had come as a pirate and then settled in after marrying Greet, the town prostitute. He had been around for many years and someone everyone listened to. He agreed also. There was no point in trying to fight. But what would this mean for Manuel? Would he be allowed to own property, to work, to be at least half free? Would he have the rights he now lived with under the English? 
would he be allowed to attend church as he did now? So the men of the Council of New Amsterdam met with the Puritan governor, John Winthrop. The Puritan governor had no plans on changing anything or even taking any land. The city would stay as it was. Laws would stay as they were. The council would stay. People would continue to vote for the council. The only difference would be the charter would be an English charter instead of a Dutch one. A few weeks later, Manuel was walking through town, walking down the street beside the wall that had never been attacked and had done nothing to save him. Nothing in his life had changed, really, except the land was no longer called New Amsterdam. Some man named James of York in England had named the city after himself. It would take a little getting used to. But as Manuel walked down Wall Street, he said the name of the city out loud. New York. It had a ring to it. Manuel was a real man. He really did come as a slave, one of the first captured as pirate loot. He really did face a trial of sticks and really did survive a hanging. He really did get half freedom, and he really did have his own farm and his own family. He really did live through the creation of New York and really did help build Wall Street. Slavery really did come to New York this way, and while people fought it at first, they slowly got used to it. It was just the way it was. Because that's how it works. We eventually just get used to things, even if at first we can see it as awful. It would not be until July 4th, 1827, that New York ended slavery. New York was the first state to pass a law for total abolition of legal slavery. In our next episode, we're going to go back to the Dutch homeland and see what was happening to the church there. To make sure you don't miss a single episode, make sure you subscribe. If you like this, share it with a friend and leave a review. For more podcasts, blogs, and videos, go to lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week.